Hello and welcome to another episode of A Rock and a Hard Place, the podcast that explores why minerals matter, their importance in society, and the role they will play in the clean energy future. I'm Salim Ali, Director of the Minerals, Materials and Society Program at the University of Delaware. And I am Thomas Hale, a graduate student exploring the mineral security nexus at the University of Delaware's Minerals, Materials and Society Program and George Washington University. We love hearing from you, so do get in touch via the Mineral Choices website. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome everyone. This week I'm joined by Dr. Corby Anderson. Dr. Anderson is the Harrison Western Professor of Metallurgical and Materials Engineering at the Colorado School of Mines. He has an extensive background in industrial operations and research and is an expert in the fields of extractive metallurgy, mineral processing, waste minimization, and recycling. We're very glad to have you join us today, Dr. Anderson, so thanks for being here. My pleasure. So I'd like to start off with learning a little bit more about the work that you're doing at the Colorado School of Mines, kind of how you got involved into the extractive industry and kind of the journey to get to this point. Yeah, I, I've been in the business for uh, something over 42 years, um, equally spaced uh, in industry research and now academics. Um, have a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering and advanced degrees in metallurgical engineering. And so at the Colorado School of Mines, our primary purpose is to create the intellectual capital that is um, ready to take on the, uh, the tasks that are needed for humanity, particularly with the emerging efforts in renewable energy or otherwise. So I think that's, a, that's a, a thumbnail sketch of all the things we do. Oh, I mean, yeah, the Colorado School of Mines is definitely one of the key mining schools in the country that has been working on a lot of these things. And I think that leads into my next question, which is clearly there's kind of this, I guess, renewed approach to wanting to focus on this energy transition and the green future and what that means for metals and mining and all that. And I'm wondering, because we know there's a lot of initiatives now in the United States, but can you talk a little bit more, as we've spoken in the past, about how China versus the United States have approached this idea of mineral processing or just the extractive industry and what that kind of difference is between our two countries and how you kind of see that changing or going forward? Well, while we've been going backwards, they've been going forwards. And there's slowly a realization that um, we're barely competing. And that's in a couple of critical areas. Uh, The Chinese are very active in going out in the world and capturing resources and holding them. You can look what's going on in South America. You can look at what's going on uh, in nickel in the Philippines and Indonesia. Uh, You can look at what's going on on the continent of Africa and they're uh, very aggressive and they have a distinct goal to capture the resource they need, particularly for battery manufacture or other things. Um, We're not doing much of that either externally or uh, in the United States. And I think the same could be said of a lot of companies in the Western world, uh, including um, Europe. The other part is that they are actively supporting uh, research and they're actively supporting creation of uh, skilled people um, to carry out the activities they need to turn those resources into functional metals and materials. Um, we're not. Um, I don't know if we turn the corner there or not. And I know even where in, in Europe, it's very difficult. My son uh, went to school in Europe. Uh, there was a program they had where 
Um, it was out of the University of Delft, but for his master's degree, he went to four European institutions to study his master's degree in extractive metallurgy. Uh, one of those was Camborne School of Mines. Um, they've been talking about getting rid of their mining program. Um, they've suspended mineral processing. Um, it, Delft is no longer, I, I don't think they're part of the uh, program he was in. They might be. So it's a scattered landscape there. And the same thing can be said for Australia, Canada, and the United States, which is quite surprising because the Canadian uh, economy and the Australian economy are driven very strongly by the resource sector, and yet you'll see you're seeing erosion in the um, institutions of higher learning that train the skilled professionals as well as the research to support it. So uh, the Chinese have no problem with that. Um, I'm a visiting faculty member for Central South University in Changsha, China. Um, it's it's has one of 38 mineral processing schools in China, uh, in all of Australia, Canada, Europe, and the United States. We don't even come close to that. And uh, they also have a separate school of extractive metallurgy, um, which I think they have an equivalent number in the country. Uh, Central South University has a thousand undergraduates studying nothing but mineral processing, 500 graduate students and they are researching anything and everything to do with uh, critical materials and minerals, uh, rare earths, you name it, steel. Um, and uh, we're puttering around in the Western world, um, um, thinking about these things or making efforts, uh, some of them good, uh, efforts to sustain or grow these things, but in relative comparison, um, you know, uh, as we say over here, the heart, the horse is well out of the barn. So uh, there's no sense closing the doors, right? So that's where we're at. You know, and maybe this is from my biased perspective from being in the policy and international affairs community. But I'm just wondering if, you know, I mean, of course, industry is a key player. And of course, academia is a key player in, mm -hmm. in doing the research and development. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, you know, should there be a, a, a stronger signal by the U.S. government to, like, recognize this? Because I have a lot of conversations with folks in D.C. Mm -hmm. that maybe aren't as aware of this. I was just in a meeting the other day. And I was talking about uh, metals and mining, and a lot of the students that are going into international affairs were saying, we don't need minerals. Right. Well, and, and I was like, you know, that's the thing, right? So I'm just wondering if there needs to be a signal from the government in order to encourage. And I'm wondering if that's the disparity you see in China. There's such a huge signaling from the regime there to, to continue that. Well, okay. When you compare how China is operated and who operates it compared to us, obviously it's different right? Um, their leadership, as, as I recall, um, has uh, an abundance of uh, technical education. I think their president is a geological engineer, if I'm not mistaken. And they don't have to worry about debate or consensus. They say this is important and we'll do it. Now, of course, in the United States and Europe and you know Canada, um, we have uh, a democratic system, whether it's parliamentary or otherwise, and people, right, wrong, or indifferent, negotiate, debate. Uh, so uh, when, when you hear about um, the United States wants to become um, dominant in uh, batteries, battery manufacture, 
and put electric vehicles on the road, um, and then you look at the critical materials and minerals needed for that. We produce right now no lithium in the United States. We produce no manganese. We produce no nickel. We produce no copper, or excuse me, cobalt. And um, we do produce some copper, but permitting copper mines, you can take a look at what's going on in Minnesota with some very good copper, nickel, and cobalt containing um, mines that have been trying to get permits and they want to put a moratorium on them so they cannot be developed. The same thing's going on in the lithium sector. In Nevada, if you read it, where there's challenges from the environmental community, and so the um, the offshoot of that is that the Biden administration has come out and said, well, we'll get those minerals and materials from our allies. Well, okay, I just don't understand it. And, you know, it's right, wrong, or indifferent, having been in this business a long time, um, mining can evoke in many people, particularly politicians, um, an unfavorable image or attitude, right? And so um, there is a propensity if one says, well, we won't have to mine something to do this, and people applaud and they think that's that's great. Um, most people, and I think we had this discussion before, Thomas, assume that recycling can meet some of our needs. Some people believe all of it, and they believe as soon as you put recycle on something, that's all good, and mining is bad. Um, neither one is good, neither one is bad. It depends on how it's managed. And I can tell you, having been in the business, um, recycling, if you don't manage it right, can be just as messy, um, if not environmentally challenging as primary production. But the term recycle is deemed as all good. I mean, we get a lot of um, accolades on campus or elsewhere for having our recycle center, which is now, again, in our 11th year, and um, a lot of praise. Uh, when we um, do primary mineral processing or extractive projects, um, while they're important to whoever the um, client or collaborator is, uh, they don't get as much fanfare, they don't get as much uh, accolade because of these disparate differences in opinion about it. And I think the same thing is in, true in Europe, maybe not so much in, in Canada or Australia. And so here we are with an incompatible, an incompatible opinion of, yes, we want renewable, no, we don't want to mine it here. And the sad part about that is um, if you look uh, around the world, um, you know, the, the Western world uh, generally has the best practices for mining and mineral processing extractive, generally has the best environmental laws and stipulations. And when you begin to export, um, your needs to somewhere else that may or may not occur. Um, you take a look at um, Brazil, which is you know, a reasonably modern country, um, and you look at the collapse of the tailings dams, which is, uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, this was a decommissioned tailings dam, and um, it was being monitored, and it was being reviewed by independent engineers. Um, the problem was that the company involved and the independent engineers were um, 
um, not really doing their diligence. They were signing off on reports without um, looking at anything, and it collapsed and killed a lot of people and caused a big problem. And so I'm not saying that doesn't happen in you know uh, Europe or North America, but I think our standards are higher and um, we have less, um, what would you call it, graft. So, you know, you can't have it both ways, I would say that. And there's just a number, like in anything, of perceptions and misperceptions. And in this case, I think um, we, we are falling well behind the Chinese in our efforts to um, compete with them, right? We're barely on the playing field. That's a problem. That brings part one of my interview with Corby to an end. In part two, I ask him about the limitations of higher education in the United States and how this is impacting our ability to compete on the international stage and what challenges it could create in the future. Tune in next week to hear the next part of the discussion. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week.